Welcome to The Sage and the Song, an archetypal exploration on life, love, and leadership. I'm Britta Greenviolet, singer, songwriter, creativity mentor, and conscious leadership coach. The stories we tell about our lives shape our lives, and I'm here in service of rewriting the script, crafting a new narrative where it's needed, and liberating your mind, body, heart, and voice to express the fullness of your unique medicine. Hello, my friend. Welcome back. And I'm excited today. I am about to riff on 10 mandatory rites of passage for every entrepreneur. (laughs) So dig in with me. Now that I've gone through these, and I'm sure I will continue to go through these in greater and greater spirals of experience, I consider them soul initiations. And I will also say there are certainly more than 10. But let's let's start here, right? So what I'm going to share these these stories and uh, initiations, they're coming from my own experience as a coach and as a mentor over the past, oh, six, six plus years. And I think it's also very applicable for you if you are an artist or a teacher or a creator or a creatrix or anybody who's on the path of creating, building, sharing your most soulful work, right? Because when we put our work out into the world, we are putting ourselves out into the world. And when we put ourselves out into the world, that is vulnerable and that is scary. And it pushes us way out of our comfort zone and forces us to get friendly, (laughs) with the discomfort, with the vulnerability, with the stretching ourselves, right? Letting ourselves be witnessed and seen and having to go through, getting to go through rather, these initiations that grow us, grow us as an artist, grow us as a creator, grow us as a leader. So initiation number one is investing, Specifically, investing in yourself and in your work. So when I go, if I go way back, I think about being taken care of by my parents, which I consider uh, a great privilege and which I'm so grateful for. And my folks supported me through most of my university uh, college life. And at the very end there, I had to get some financial aid um, and take out some loans. I got some debt, which I think is pretty standard for most students, at least in America. Um, And then as I continued to, you know, expand beyond that um, into my late 20s and even into my even into my 30s, I was still getting periodic support from my parents, either through loans or through gifts um, to, say, purchase photography or equipment or go through my yoga teacher training, for example. And then at some point, uh, I, I reached the point where for me, I felt it was really important to 
start taking care of myself and that that felt like a like the next step in my sovereignty to really be able to stand fully on my own and I didn't realize it at the time, but making investments in my training as a health coach um, was a huge leap of faith and something that I began to pay off as I started being a coach. And then very quickly, in fact, right as I really started to launch my coaching business, I ended up signing on with my first business mentor. And I've told this story before, but I I basically had a total emotional meltdown when I decided to sign up for that first year-long mentorship program. It was $10,000. I had no idea how I was going to make that investment, let alone pay back that investment. It was all terrifying. And what I really didn't even fully comprehend at the moment, but what dawned on me in that year and years afterward, was that there is this beautiful divine reciprocity as a coach or a mentor or a teacher. So when I invite a client to come work with me, I'm asking them to invest. I'm asking them to invest in themselves in their work, right, in their life, in their body, whatever it is, I'm asking them to invest in themselves and also in me, right, in in my offering. And the real question that came through for me was, how is it in integrity for me to ask somebody to invest in me as a coach, if I'm not willing to invest in somebody else as a coach, right? So there is that reciprocity of asking people, inviting people to come into the container of my coaching programs and my coaching offerings and my courses and my classes and knowing that that's an investment for people, right, to some degree, And that there is a reciprocity there. So in investing in ourselves, it literally teaches us what it's like to be in our client's shoes and what it's like to go out on a limb and take a huge leap of faith. And the beauty of that investment is that it truly is a gift for us to invest in ourselves and invest in our work, in our life, in our business, because we get to take that leap. We get to be the fool. We get to have that experience of reciprocity and, okay, this is what it's like to put myself and my dollars on the line. And now, in order to get the value out of what I've paid for, I need to show up. I need to do my best. I need to give this everything I've got so that I get a return on my investment, right? So the investing in ourselves, which probably just expands, again, I keep thinking in this moment of a spiral, right? So this is a cyclical 
um, experience, initiatory experience, where probably uh, they grow in scope, right? The investments start smaller. And of course, this also matches our prosperity mindset, which starts smaller. And then as our investments get bigger, our prosperity mindset grows, and we are able to start bringing in more prosperity. And this is the beautiful divine irony and reciprocity that as I invest more and spend more, I'm also able to make more. And perhaps there is something there simply about expanding my consciousness around money, around abundance, knowing what that's like to spend $10,000 on a mentor allows me to more comfortably, with more ease and more fluidity, invite a client to spend that amount investing in me and in one of my programs, right? So investing in yourself and your business and recognizing that there is a divine reciprocity that you literally can only learn by doing it. Right. And going back to rites of passage and initiation, I'm not exactly sure what the exact definition of initiation is. But if I were to make one up on the spot in this moment, I would say that it means walking through the fire yourself. Right. There is no, you can't get the benefits. You don't actually become an initiate unless you walk through the fire yourself. So you can't really ever know what it means to make an investment until you've done it. And then, of course, by doing it, you become the initiate. You get to pass through the portal of the rite of passage. And from the other side, you get to look back and all of a sudden have this expanded wisdom and perspective on investment and the beauty and the gift of investment. Rite of passage number two, rejections. <laughs> so getting rejected, right? Putting your work out there and getting rejected. That is definitely a rite of passage. And this can look like it can take different forms depending on your work, your body of work. So if you're an artist, this might look like publishing your first book or uh, putting up a, a show of your paintings or your photographs in a gallery or in a cafe, right? Um, if you're a coach, this might look like having um, a discovery call with somebody where you invite them to hire you, right? Or a consult consultation. And <laughs> so the initiation here is the rejection, right? So what what happens when we put ourselves out there, when we offer our soul's gifts, when we offer our work, our most heart-based work, hopefully, right? That's the work we're putting out there. And then we get, no, no, I don't like it. No, I don't want to buy it. No, it doesn't feel aligned to me. No, I don't want to spend the money on it. No, I don't see the value in it. Um, maybe it's even like a, ooh, I really want this and no, because I'm freaked out, right? Whatever, whatever it is that is there, um, 
that energy of rejection is an initiation. It is a rite of passage. And it's so important to visibilize this for ourselves as entrepreneurs, as artists, as creators, as business owners, because it's inevitable. <laughs> That's why, because it's inevitable, right? And it's important to honor the sacred no, right? It's important to honor when it's not aligned for the recipient. It's also important to honor that when we put ourselves out there, there is there is sort of this dual awareness that we need to have. On one level, the awareness is it's my job to put myself out there, to put my best work out there, to try my best. And then whether people say yes or no is actually none of my business, right? Like I have no control over whether people say yes or no. So my job is to show up, to do my best, to keep learning and to put myself out there again and again and again and again and again and again. Even if people keep rejecting me, that's simply an opportunity for, I think, the second um, facet or or way of uh, second thing to hold in this sort of paradox of rejections, which is, yes, their no has nothing to do with me. And I need to be detached. And at the same time, there is an opportunity, there is an invitation for refinement. So when I get a rejection, in any shape or form, that is an invitation for me to lightheartedly with the mm, playful energy of the trickster, <laughs> circle back to my offering, circle back to my creation, circle back to whatever I put out there and take a moment or longer, hopefully not too long, but take some time to actually assess, okay, how did that go? What went well? What didn't go well? What do I think I did really well? What do I know I did not do well? Where do I need to learn? Where do I need to grow? Where can I refine? Where can I do better? What needs practice? Okay, great. When am I going to practice that? Okay, fantastic. Now I'm ready to go out there and try again. So this energy of rejections, it is mandatory. <laughs> it is unavoidable. And it is a beautiful opportunity to, first of all, practice non-attachment to the outcome. And second of all, keep refining, keep refining our creation, our offer, our gift, our program, whatever it is, our work, our body of work that we're putting out there. And I want to really add that this whole game of rejections really helps to navigate again, call in the fool, call in the trickster, keep calling in the medicine of levity and lightheartedness so that you can stay light as you are detaching, refining, and offering again and again in this beautiful cycle. Rite of passage number three, making and maintaining healthy boundaries. 
So as an entrepreneur, this has been such beautiful, (laughs) so much beautiful fodder for my learnings around boundaries. And some of the ways that these come through are, let's see, requests for refunds when very clearly my program agreements or my course pages state that I don't offer refunds, right? So how do you navigate if you have uh, any sort of um, uh, statement, right, about money back guarantees or refunds, and then you get somebody who wants to have a refund anyway, how do you how do you manage that? Um, another way this happens for I think a lot of service providers, maybe body workers, entrepreneurs, coaches, is late cancellations rights or no shows. So people, let's say they have a session booked with you, they either don't show up or they cancel an hour beforehand. And you have a policy that you don't offer money back for, you know, for anything less than 24 hours. So then you get to dance that dance, right? And often that looks like, oh, but I hadn't actually taken their payment yet. So now that I want to put this policy in place, now I would have to reach out and charge them after the fact, which is a bit messy, right? It's messy, it's leaky, it's it's not easy for you. It puts you in a super awkward position. And so there's something really juicy about that learning of how do I put systems in place where the boundaries are set and the systems are already in place. Um, Another way that this can show up is broken contracts. So if somebody signs a contract with you or signs a program agreement with you um, and then pulls out, right, for whatever reason. And here, you know, it's important to also say my, one of my beloved mentors, Nisha Moodley, has this really beautiful uh, phrase around boundaries, which she calls barbed wire boundaries. <laughs> and as you can probably feel into that, barbed wire boundaries are being overly rigid, right? And just nonsensical and non-empathetic and not compassionate, right? So we don't want that. And we also don't want to have no boundaries at all. So there's this spectrum. And hopefully we find this sweet spot where we land in the middle, where we are able to, first of all, create clear boundaries. Second of all, communicate them clearly to our clients, our customers, our patients, um, whoever we are serving. And then thirdly, to uphold them with ease with friendliness with grace and perhaps fourthly (laughs) uh, if that's even a word if people then still have some sort of an issue then we are able to take on that conflict resolution hopefully with some real skill and some real tact right know when to throw in the towel know when to hold our ground. This only comes (laughs) through experience, which is what makes it an initiation. Rite of passage four is launching, launching or in or publishing 
like hitting publish, hitting launch, putting your your thing out there. So this could be a website, this could be a book, this could be an album, this could be a program, it could be a new offering. And it's always scary. It's always scary to launch. It is always full of mystery. And I will take a stand and say it is always scary and full of mystery for everyone. It is. I like to think that even Marie Forleo gets a little freaked out in her launches. Now, given like she's working with much bigger numbers than, for instance, I am right, where I might be calling in 10 people to a program, she might be calling in 10,000 people to a program. And yet for her, there is still that edge, like 10,000 is a lot of people to call in, right? So I really believe that launching is challenging for everybody, right? And it's Whew, there is always and, and again, right, this this could be a program, but this could also just be you uh, defending your thesis as a grad student, right, or, or as a PhD candidate. So there is this energy of putting my thing out there and then standing by it and saying, this is finished, it's ready for the world. Take it world. <laughs> and then dot, 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 right? And then ellipses. So what happens if you launch and someone doesn't like it? What happens if you launch and nobody buys it, right? What happens if you put it out there and crickets, you don't even get a single response. So this this is the initiation, right? The, and it's funny because even the process of the launch in and of itself is so full. It is such a big experience that comes with so many emotions along the way, right? Emotions of elation and then doubt and then quitting and then starting again and then excitement, right? And then doubt and then quitting and then starting again, right? It's this this cycle that we all go through when we are creating something new and then putting it out there. So there is, uh, in terms of, you know, programs and um, courses and books, there is something that I'll share that, that I have learned from several mentors that I think can help this process be a bit easier. And that is the idea of sell it before you make it. <laughs> and sell it, you know, I say that in air quotes, maybe what you are making you know, I used like a PhD uh, or grad school thesis. So that is not necessarily something that you are selling, at least initially. But you are selling it again with air quotes, right? You are offering this idea and attempting to uh, attempting for it to be bought into, right? Whether it's bought or whether it's bought into and supported as an idea, as a concept or as a product, there is this concept of sell it before you make it. And that really entails like doing some market research, finding out and even making sure that your people, whoever you're, whoever you're creating it for, is interested beforehand, right? Knowing that they're interested, knowing that this topic is a topic of interest 
to at least some of your people will really help as you go through this journey of knowing that there is interest already. So launching. (laughs) The next one I want to talk about, initiation, rite of passage five, is branding decisions. (laughs) So, oh man, I talked in... uh, Another podcast episode that I did recently on indecision and how indecision is one of the biggest energy leaks that there is. And I want to bring in this this initiation of making decisions around our business and around our brand because I really do believe that this can be very challenging and it can we can waste a lot of time and a lot of energy in this area. And I want to offer this just nugget of gold from my friend and one of my teachers, Elder Don Rosenthal. And he shared this concept with with me, which I've heard from other people in other ways. And I love the way he phrases it so much. And this phrase, like, write this down, type this into your phone, put it in your pocket, put it in your wallet, put it on your wall. This phrase is gold. And here it is. I really care. And it doesn't matter. I really care. And it doesn't matter. I really care. And it doesn't matter. That's the beautiful paradox that I want to invite you to hold when it comes to branding decisions in your business or in your work, right? So the question underneath here is, will you get stuck on the details? Will you get stuck in like the nitty gritty minutia of making those decisions, right? So there are so many decisions that we have to make as creators, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, around our brand, around our color palette, around our fonts, around the stories we tell, around who our target audience is, right? And, and I go on, right? What to offer, how much to charge, when to launch, when to create. I mean, there, there are just endless decisions that we have to make. And it's a daily, it is a daily practice. So the, the, the real trick here is first and foremost, holding that beautiful paradox, I really care, and it doesn't matter. And secondly, trusting to trusting and choosing to lean into the, the option that I will make a choice now, And then I will observe, and if needed, I will course correct later. Rite of passage number six. Finally realizing that no one can actually decide for you what to offer or how much to charge. Now, this one, who knows if other people have this initiation. This has been a really big rite of passage for me, and so I want to share it with you. And this is that as much as I want, sometimes so desperately for other people 
like my mentors, my teachers, my coaches, who I put a lot of faith and a lot of stock and sometimes a lot of money into, as much as I want them to make decisions for me simply out of ease (laughs) and flow and taking some of that energy leak um, labor off of myself, it never works. It has never, ever, ever worked out for me to have somebody else tell me what to charge or what to offer. So you can absolutely start there. I think starting there is crucial, especially when you are starting out in your work and in your craft. So whether that is like pricing your first paintings or pricing your first book that you've ever published or pricing your first course that you've ever put out there, right? Or pricing your sessions or your coaching package or whatever it is that you are putting out there. And I'm saying pricing, and this also goes for like, what do you call it? What are all the components that go into it, right? All the de- the decisions, like the big and the small decisions. So yes, start with looking at other people in your industry, looking at your teachers and asking people who you trust for their advice. And then be aware that that's just advice. And ultimately, you're going to have to be true to yourself. You have to be true. I have to be true to myself. And I have to be true to what wants to come through me. Because if I don't, it's going to come back around and I'm going to have to course correct anyway. And this is what I have found is that I often fall back into this place of like, oh, I'm just going to ask so-and-so what they think of my pricing, you know, and maybe I'll course correct after that. And it never really seems to work out for me because I always seem to circle back to what feels right for me. And here's an important piece of this which is that we all need to learn our lessons for ourselves, right? We can't, in truth, you know, hopefully we can learn lessons, we can learn our teachers and our mentors' lessons through them and through their stories and avoid some pitfalls. And ultimately, we have to learn our own lessons, right? It's like, this is a big one, I imagine, for parents. I am not a biological parent, but... I imagine that for parents, this is a really big one, like wanting to save your your child, the pain of learning the lesson, and then ultimately realizing they have to go learn the lessons for themselves, right? You can't impart all the wisdom of all your errors and your fuck-ups and your mistakes and have them bypass all of it. That's just not how being human works, right? So circling back... No one can tell me what to offer or charge definitively. I can ask for advice, and then ultimately it's up to me to feel into it and really feel what the right decision is. And I want to offer two little things. One thing here is, again, just the reminder that you can and you will course correct. So Love, find some solace in that fact, right? Know that nothing is set in stone. See it all, in fact, as experimentation, right? You offer something, you price it, you see how it goes. You can 
always change your mind. You can always do it differently next time. And then the other little hack, this is kind of a woo-woo spiritual hack that I'll offer, is that in the last year, I got myself a pendulum and I started using my pendulum for making decisions in my business. And it actually has worked out for me really well because (laughs) I swing the pendulum. I have to find the right question, which is always such a beautiful dance. I swing the pendulum. And then whether the pendulum tells me yes or no, I get such a clear reflection in my own emotions around what the pendulum says, right? And then I get to really sit and say, huh, well, the pendulum thinks that is the right price, even though there's something in me that still thinks that's not the right price. Like, what do I have to lose by trusting the pendulum, which supposedly is my intuition, right? Coming through like the wisdom of my body. So take it or leave it. That's what I've got for you in that realm of making decisions with your branding and really making your own decisions. Initiation, rite of passage, seven, hiring, outsourcing, and delegating. Asking for help, in other words, is a huge rite of passage for all of us, and especially for those of us who are putting our work out there. So a big part of this for me has been recognizing my zone of genius, like what is in my zone of genius and what is outside of my zone of genius? What do I enjoy doing? What am I great at doing? What can only I do in my work, right? So those things are the things that I need to be doing, the things I enjoy, the things I love, the things I'm great at, and the things that only I can do. Outside of that, right, there are so many other tasks, and those can be delegated, They can be deleted, (laughs) they can be simplified, right? They can be outsourced. And hiring is, wow, I've learned so much and I still have so far to go. I have a team of people and it is a very small team. And that feels good for me in this moment. I certainly know other entrepreneurs who are building a team, who have bigger teams Um, And that really supports their mission and who they are as leaders, right? So there there are many different facets to this area. And really, but without spending too, too much time on it, I wanna say a great place to start is feel into like how willing am I to ask for help? How willing am I, how willing are you to ask for help? Do you have a bunch of stories, a bunch of baggage, a bunch of narratives around why you don't deserve to ask for help or why you can't afford to ask for help or why you don't know who to ask for help and it's just too many decisions so you're not going to do it, right? So many different wormholes, pitfalls that you can tumble into right there. And Asking for help is so important because until we really start asking for help, 
we are just so limited on what we can achieve, on what we can accomplish, on what we can create, on what we can build. We need help, right? We we aren't octopi. Like I, I only have two hands. I only have one brain. There's only so much I can do. And there's only so much I want to do, right? So so this is a twofold thing. It's like can do, want to do. A few other things to uh, weave into this conversation, just to plant seeds for you, are who to hire, right? How to hire, when to hire. Um, hire should, I, should I hire people that I know? Should I hire friends? That's actually something that is sort of a, a micro <laughs> initiation underneath this bigger one. Sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. And this kind of weaves back into boundaries. In order to work with friends, I believe that you both need a lot of clarity and you need really good boundaries and you both have to be really good communicators. Right. Like no eggshells. We are speaking truth. We're doing it with love. We are doing it with the mission in mind. And we are here to serve the greater purpose. Um, I also wanted to share a few ways that if you are just about to get into hiring or delegating or outsourcing that you can start to look. So I have used the websites Fiverr and Upwork. They are both really great resources for hiring virtual assistants, hiring graphic designers, um, hiring editors, right? Um, There are so many different small menial tasks or bigger creative tasks in your work that you could be outsourcing so that you can focus on what you do best. And those are two really good places to look, fiverr.com and upwork.com. And then of course, you can also ask for recommendations for referrals through your community. So if there are people, especially people who you trust, especially people who you trust in your field or who are doers who are doing similar things, they are going to be really great people to ask specifically for what it is that you're looking for. Rite of passage eight, blending personal and business. So I touched on this a little bit in number seven around hiring friends. And I also want to weave this back in by saying, what if friends want to hire you, right? What if friends want to do a trade for each other's services? How does this work to blend personal and business? And I want to keep this brief and say again, that I believe it can be done really beautifully. And I believe it also is done frequently and where it ends up being a bit messy. (laughs) So when we choose to blend personal life and business life, um, I really feel that for me, it works out best when there is very clear communication, when there are healthy boundaries, and when each person agrees to communicate efficiently, swiftly, effectively, uh, courageously, right? To be willing to have courageous conversations 
And personally, I feel this is something I'm learning more and more and more that whether I'm hiring somebody or whether somebody's coming on as my client, one of the things I'm learning to ask for specifically is agency. And I'm asking for it and I'm also looking for it. I am interested in clients, um, in customers, in friendships, right? And in mentors. So in any, pretty much any relationship that I'm in that is going to be an intimate one where like we're working together and we're building trust, I wanna know that you've got agency. I wanna know that if something's not working for you, you're gonna speak up. You're going to tell me about it. You're going to do it in a timely manner and you're going to do it with tact <laughs> and with hopefully some lightheartedness and you're going to do it with compassion and you're also going to do it with sovereignty and with agency, right? So you're going to be able to tell me what your needs are and stand by those with love, right? That is, I feel, the guiding principle for me around blending personal and business. Rite of passage nine, making an offer and being told you are too expensive. This is such a great rite of passage. Oh man, this is a good one. <laughs> and I am sure that uh, we all, well, maybe not we all, but many of us experience this and in different ways. So I'm saying making an offer and being told you're too expensive that could also come in different forms of putting your artwork out there and being told that it's too fill in the blank, right? Or even putting yourself out there and being told that you are too fill in the blank. Like you're too needy, you're too much, your art is too refined, your art is not refined enough, right? Your voice is too perfect, your voice is not perfect enough. Your uh, offer is too much, too much money, or like the, or your offer doesn't provide enough support, right? So there are so many uh, <laughs> different ways that I think this rite of passage comes through. And specifically, let's focus on the charging too much, the overcharging. And I have been doing some really big work on this in my own life because I'm up leveling and I'm really excited about my offerings these days. I'm feeling like my mentorship and my coaching has a lot of value. I feel confident in it. My confidence is continuing to grow as my skills and my experience and my expertise grows. And I'm also looking to other women in the coaching space, very consciously and deliberately. I'm looking to other women as examples, as leaders, as mentors. And I want to bring through just two that I have tuned into recently. So one of them is a woman named Denise Duffield Thomas, um, Australian. She's written a couple books. She has a podcast. Um, you can find her on Instagram. She uh, has a great book called Chillpreneur that I really, really enjoyed. And she has a really clear view on this, which I really appreciate, which is the reminder that 
you're overcharging or your offer is too expensive is subjective, right? Money is subjective. That's the truth on it. What I think is expensive may be exorbitant for somebody else, and it may be totally reasonable for somebody else. So our opinions about money are opinions. And I think it's really, really healthy and important to remember that our opinions about money are simply our opinions, right? And that certainty and truth are not the same thing. So me feeling like something is too expensive, I think a really great tag on that is that it's too expensive for me, right? And I did a whole other podcast episode on the phrase, I can't afford that. So I also want to uh, just distinguish I can't afford from too expensive. Those are very, you may, you may think that they are uh, similar phrases, and they share a certain something. And yet they are also different. They have a totally different connotation. So I could very well say, this coach or this offering is too expensive for me at this time. Like I am, I don't want to pay that much. So that is one thing. But saying that's too much and you're overcharging, that is a very different view. So the other view I want to bring forward is Rachel Rogers of Hello7, who <laughs> says in her podcast that I listened to recently, that most entrepreneurs are undercharging, heavily, heavily, heavily undercharging. She also makes the distinguish, uh, the, the distinguished difference between like where you want to be in your industry and you can choose, right? Because there is the bargain basement option and there is also like the super, super high-end boutique option. And then there is everything in between. So you actually get to choose and I get to choose and we get to choose as creators where we are on that spectrum. And there's nothing wrong with where you choose. And make a choice that's conscious, make a choice that is based on your people, right? That's so important. So this initiation, making an offer and being told you're too expensive, those are two really helpful things to keep in your mind. That money is subjective and what is expensive for one person is inexpensive for another person. And also that a lot of people are undercharging because there are a lot of people who haven't done much money mindset work and because scarcity mentality dominates this planet, period. I also want to weave in here that part of this initiation is making an offer to somebody that you really love or that you really respect and the potential for like what happens if they think you're too expensive. So it's one it's one thing if you don't know them, right? Or if you're just meeting them. And and even then like this is still it's still a rite of passage because it's still hard to receive this feedback. It's I don't know that it's ever easy to receive this feedback. Maybe it gets easier. <laughs> 
But what if it's somebody who you love? What if it's a friend who wanted to explore working with you, right? What if it's somebody you really respect? What if you feel afterward that you've offended them with your prices or your enrollment process, or you think that you may have compromised your relationship or your friendship? That's, that's a big one. That's a crunchy one, and it's a hard one. And what I will say to this is that I'm a human, and anybody who engages with me as a potential client needs to recognize that I'm a human. I'm not perfect. I'm definitely going to flounder, right? And especially when I'm in these transitionary moments of like moving between one point on the spectrum to another, I may be a bit more uncertain around what I'm offering, right? And that looks like different things for different creators, right? We always have those moments of when we put out something for the very first time, it's always going to be scarier than when we've put it out 20 times, right? And somebody is always going to be the recipient when you put it out the first time or the second time or the third time. So I want to give myself permission to be human in this process. I want to give myself permission and remind myself that anybody who shows up and wants to explore working with me, who is going to not give me any wiggle room for being human, I'm not interested. They're not my people, right? So it's so important to give ourselves compassion, to give ourselves permission to be on that leading edge where we're learning and knowing that there's a learning curve. Giving myself love, forgiving myself, maybe sometimes that's going to include an apology, right? Or taking ownership or, or at the very least acknowledging what's happening, right? Acknowledging the tension that is at play between two people. And best case scenario, all is well, right? And the friendship doesn't suffer and we get to learn together. And maybe I get to grow and maybe I get to circle back and say to that person, I've learned so much from this interaction. Thank you. If you have no interest about working with me ever again, I get it and it's okay and I love you anyway. And if you're still interested, Let's talk because it would mean the world to me to support you. And I want to find a way that feels good for us both. All right, loves, one more. <laughs> Rite of passage 10, celebrate the wins. Oh, this is so important. And I remind myself all the time. I remind my clients all the time. And... As Angelus Arian puts out there in her book, The Fourfold Way, one of the four human universal addictions is focusing on what's not working, right? We literally are addicted 
to focusing on what's not working, especially in contrast to what is working. We will always, like our animal human lizard brain, will always remember the scathing insults, (laughs) the critics, right? Those like harsh criticisms. We will always remember those things way longer than the glowing testimonial or like the just brilliant compliment that we got around our gifts. So it is so important for us to take time to celebrate the wins, to celebrate our accomplishments. And these are big and these are small, right? Ah, if you are, if you're in the midst of your own revolution in some sense, I want to, I want to really invite you to tell that story in the present tense and really make an effort to use language that deliver that that deliberately speaks about the patterns and the habits and the beliefs that you've overcome. And often, I will see this in my clients or even in my friends or in people somewhere in my circle or my community, seeing someone and witnessing someone who can't hang out in celebration mode. Like they can't just receive compliments. They can't fully digest or metabolize what has gone really well and what they have done really well. And instead, they insist on diving in over and over into all the ways that they've failed and how bad it hurts and how bad they suck and how hard their face scraped the dirt, right? That is so painful to witness that in somebody. So please don't be that person. Please don't be that person. Let yourself celebrate. Celebrate what's going well. Celebrate your wins. It is a game changer. Ah, that's what I've got. Those are the 10 initiations that I've got for you today. And maybe you haven't made these mistakes yet. (laughs) And maybe you won't. God is willing, you won't. I'd like to think that perhaps hearing my tales of woe will help you avoid these potential pitfalls for yourself. And I want to say, if you happen to find these gaping holes and fall in gloriously, anyway, remember that these are initiations that most entrepreneurs and business owners go through. And remember that they are fortifying you. They are making you wiser. They are helping you to become a good elder, a good ancestor in training. The song. This song came through for me on a walk a couple years ago. And I, as I was walking up this hill, I caught myself in the middle of a mental fake conversation. (laughs) Do you ever do that? I wonder, do you ever catch yourself having a totally fabricated conversation with another person inside your mind? Yeah, I, I thought so. I thought so. I thought I'm probably not the only one. It's a humbling moment when I catch myself in the act 
of that. And yet, I really want to welcome (laughs) in the reality of the human mind. That's what the human mind does. It's helpful to remember now and always that I am not my thoughts and you are not your thoughts. So I felt that this song would be really relevant to this conversation about rites of passage and initiations because inevitably, when any of these situations happen, what's the first thing that we do? Most likely, we immediately go on the defense, we get metaphorically dressed for battle, (laughs) and we wage war with the person we feel attacked or trespassed by in our head. Sometimes that's another person, sometimes that could even be ourselves that we are raging against. So beloved, I offer this song as a prayer. Lighten up. Don't take yourself so seriously. Remember that these are rites of passage that that are necessary to your mastery. We may not be able to avoid these pitfalls, but it is my hope and my prayer that with a bit of humor, we can certainly navigate them with grace and humility. Why do we replay conversations? Why do we invent conversations? Oh, somebody turn this record off. Who, 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 who am I talking to? This is not a Why helpful do we fake conversations? Why do we invent conversations? This oh, is not a helpful conversation. This is not Why a helpful fake conversation. Why do we invent conversations? This oh, is not a helpful fake conversation. Oh, who, 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 who am, am I talking to? I was this there. is not a helpful so fake conversation. Who am I telling this to? Invent conversations. This is not a helpful fake
Thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence, for your precious time and energy. You can find out more about me and my work at brittagreenviolet.com. Until next time, may your mythic adventure through life serve up nourishment, courage, curiosity, and awakening. This is the sage and the song signing off.